Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Previously on the Mike Wise Show. He's a very mercurial person. Uh, he strikes me as someone whose mind changes. And that's, you know, from an intellectual curiosity standpoint, that's understandable. That the idea that status quo can be something of a, uh, of a, a confined space for him. And so he's all, like, he's a constantly looking for new challenges. But the other thing also is I think he's a guy who doesn't quite weigh exactly how things are going to be before he makes a decision. In case in point, He's pining to leave Cleveland. He's pining to get out of LeBron's shadow. He gets all he wants in Boston, and he realizes this ain't all it's cracked up to be. You always think, like, you you can pull a geographic and your life is going to be better. You can find a different job, a different woman, uh, a a different place to live in this country or this world, and all of a sudden you're going to be happier. And you know what? You're still stuck with you. Yeah. <laughs> that's what yeah. I found anyway. You you know you know that, that at some that's point very you have to real, realize that you're still stuck with you, and if and if you're not happy with that guy, you ain't gonna be happy anywhere. That's very accurate. That's that's the best way I can put it. When talking about Kyrie Irving, at at some point he's got to realize he's still stuck with himself. Oh, Kyrie, don't mess with happy. Boston is good for you, my friend. This week on the Mike Wise Show, Antonio Davis tells us all kinds of stories, including the one about Don Haskins, who said at UTEP, if I'd known they were going to make a huge deal about it, I would have just started one white guy. (laughs) Darlene, take it away. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Welcome to the Mike Wise Show. I am joined this week by a guy I used to cover in the 90s. Um, I got to know him a little bit. But um, but look, way beyond the basketball, uh, he's used the he's used the game for tools, something much deeper. And we're going to talk some about that and the game right now. Welcome to the program, Antonio Davis. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Good, man. Good, man. I I noticed you're calling from your um, you're calling from Pittsburgh, California, right on the uh, I guess that's right on the heels of Oakland, California, your hometown, um, McClyman's High School. As you know, Paul Silas, Bill Russell, yourself, some of the great athletes of all time, and, of course, Frank Robinson and Kurt Flood, two <laughs> historically important people. I'm doing a story on Demetrius Hook Mitchell, the greatest wow. playground legend ever, and one of the greats to come out of Oakland who obviously never made it to the NBA but is still thought of very fondly in your neighborhood. Yes, he is, Mike, and uh, I played along the side of Demetrius when we were in high school. 
You did, so so you played so you played with him in high school. He was yeah. on. He was like starting guard on your team. Yeah, man. He was starting guard on. I think uh, as a sophomore, played oh. with, uh, played with Demetrius. And do you remember we, it? We, do you remember him just taking off for like some crazy dunk when he? He's only on, like five ten. Five ten, real long arms, super athletic, shoot the ball from anywhere. You know, could do any, can play quarterback, uh, any position in baseball, uh, kickball, anything. He can, <laughs> <laughs> he can play any sport uh, yeah. out there, man. But you know, like like we like we say, it's it's one of those sad stories because you know Oakland can get a hold of you and never let you go, and mm. that's what we've seen with Demetrius. And it, it's very sad, but hope all is well with him. Yeah, no, I got to know him the last couple of years and I keep in okay. touch with him and he is trying to clean his life up. But I will say that I'm doing a story for a national magazine. It should come out soon. And, uh, I, you know, I just I hope the best for him because it really is a great story, and especially with the war. The war it, it seems like a, a real nostalgic time for Oakland right now. The Warriors, after this postseason, whatever happens, they're leaving town. They're going to San Francisco. And I know people realize, well, they're still the Golden State Warriors think it's going to be a lot different when they leave that arena no it is uh, everything's going to be different they're leaving the the oakland raiders are leaving uh there's talk about our baseball team leaving that's <laughs> going to leave a big hole right in the center of oakland with you know, a lot of real estate to be covered for a lot of different things hopefully but um you know they, they've they've rejuvenated the city with their play there's a ton of great guys on that team that do a lot of things in the community. Um, so I, I'm hoping, although they go to San Francisco, San Francisco, they don't forget about Oakland and all the work that uh, needs to be done here. Um, and and I, I think they'll continue to do that. So we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, it's a great, it's a great organization. I, I, the, yeah. people, I, the, the weird thing is I feel bad for – like, just like, like you've known him, you've seen him for years. All the guys who work at the arena that you know don't make that kind of money yeah. are that a lot yeah. of them just can't afford to commute over the Bay Area, you know, go to Bart right. and whatnot. And they had right. and now all of a sudden they got to find other jobs. Those that those kind of those kind of people cut out of the mix bother me more than anything, really. No, it is. But I like you said, they're a great organization, and I I bet you they will do something to try to keep as many of those people as possible. Uh, mm. I know some of the guys are, you know, now figuring out whether they're going to stay in Oakland or they're going to move to San Francisco and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's it's you know I think the I've seen drawings of the arena. I've heard a lot of people talking about it. It seems like it's going to be a phenomenal place to watch the game of basketball. So uh, hopefully the mojo will stay with the Warriors. No telling what's going to happen, but. Yeah. You know, hopefully they'll stay in a situation where they're always contending for a championship. Uh, well, I'm talking with Antonio Davis, my guest this week. He was a uh, he was a 1990 draft pick of the Indiana Pacers, uh, probably one of the best second round picks ever. When I think of great <laughs> second round picks, I think, okay, let's see, Gilbert Arenas, Michael yeah, Red, sure, uh, shoot, sure. A- Antonio sure. Davis has got to be in there. <laughs> Because you, I mean, you know, you had you had a long career. You know, you played about sixteen years, and yeah. uh, and you you know you played with about four or five different teams. You worked your way over from um, you worked your way back from uh, the European League, uh, uh, Italy and, and Greece in particular. And then I remember yeah. all those years where you and Oakley and Mason 
and everybody and their mom were throwing elbows to <laughs> each other's throats. And, and, and now, now look, I look at it now, AD, and I think to myself, yeah, they've legislated your positions out of the game almost. All <laughs> it's, the way it's out. crazy. They're, they're, our, our positions, do, they do not exist in the NBA <laughs> anymore. <laughs> we're, oh, we're old and thrown to the side, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you got. I'm glad you got the money when you did. <laughs> you know, uh, you know uh, the crazy part is, you know, yeah. big guys now. They, you know, as as I watch the game, there's a couple of things that they have to do really well. And um, the hard part is, you're either a longer, taller athlete with great hands uh, who can finish above the rim, block shots, uh, get out and, and guard the pick and roll. Or you turn into a very skilled big guy who can, you know, shoot threes, a uh, great passer, and do some of the other things. So uh, although I get it, I do feel like, you know, it's one of those situations where a lot of us kind of would have been lost. You know, the Charles Oakleys, myself, uh, you know, any of, any of those type of players. I think we'd have figured it out over time. But if you're coming right in at this particular point in time in the game, it would have been you know, really frustrating to not be able to play a physical brand of basketball where you feel like you're out there competing and doing some of the other things. Yeah, I just liked it that you, uh, you not only did you had some, you had some offensive game, but if you know without, I mean, Reggie Miller and those kinds of players, they needed you. You know, they weren't, yeah. not everybody could shoot from the parking lot now, like today. Right, right. And so, not, so I think that there were. Not Damian Lillard, right? Who could right. Oh, guys still, I talk about a great <laughs> Oakland point guard. I mean, yes. I mean, I, yes. I have never seen, and like it's all the great moves Steph, Steph and Curry have made over the years and, and all the, yeah. all the crazy shots. I don't think he hasn't won a game this you know, basically a jump shot from 37 feet it's just crazy feet. just take your time size them up step to the side knock it down with confidence oh. wave by and, and and take on all the cheers you know what i mean oh, he, he's a phenomenal kid man I, you know i've talked to him on several occasions and he loves being up there in portland wants to win a championship up there before it's all said and done uh, and, and he's, you know, he's definitely one that that's going to be around for a while. Uh, Antonio Davis is my guest on the Mike Wise Show this week. I'm very happy to have him, not because uh, he was a very important player on a lot of great Indiana Pacer teams. I'm still upset that they traded him away before they went to the finals uh, the year before yeah. to Toronto. Um, and then funny, I was thinking, I was thinking out loud, like, was he on that team? Like, I because you were so associated with that group. That I right. figured, uh, I figured he had to be on it, and sure enough, they uh, they traded you away that off season. Yeah. But I'll I'll say this: um, you come from the great town of Oakland, California, a town that produced shoot Gary Payton, J- Jason Kidd, Brian Shaw, yourself, Paul yeah. Silas, Bill Russell, Isaiah Ryder. I mean, the list, yeah. Damian Lillard. The list goes on and on. You saw also, as we talked about Hook and others, you've seen other people that haven't made it. One of the great things I think you did with the Players Association is really look after not just the star, but the rank and file. And if you could talk to people about the, the job that you and Michelle Roberts, the now the executive director of the Players Union, came up with that you're putting together now that's that I think is really enlisted so that it can help people after they leave the game. Yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, um, had a discussion with Michelle around guys transitioning out into the NBA 
and we we hear all these um, horrible stories about you know financial hardship, you know guys going broke, uh, or um, high number of you know negative things, whether it's divorce or uh, just problems in general, mental health issues, and uh, we we had a conversation around is there structure for guys leaving the game, and the answer was. No, there isn't. There's no structure. Now when you see guys ready to walk away, uh, really only only two ways you're walking away. One, you decide that you're not playing anymore, which when we talk about it, there's not many guys who get to make that decision. You know, the the greatest players of the game decide. Dwayne Wade said, oh, I'm finished after this year. He looked like he can play five more years, dude. You know, so. Right. But but anyway, you know, it's, or, you know, a team doesn't offer you a contract and you kind of walk away. And it's sad now that the, the players today, they're just kind of, throwing out a tweet if you take like uh, Matt Barnes he just tweeted and said hey I'm done thank you I appreciate it and walked away like that's that's not something that you know uh, most guys will be able to do and still be okay and be productive so literally the the program is called off the court I've been at it a little over a year now um, and the whole mission is to provide support guidance uh, resources, uh, you name it, to guys as they're transitioning out to improve the chance that they're going to pivot into something that they're just as passionate about. They're going to be great fathers and husbands. They're going to be uh, great pillars of their community. Um, and I, I just believe that you can't do that. After all this time, when mm. you've had, you know, from college to to pro ball, You've had everybody there um, kind of doing everything for you, and now you're left alone, or not not really alone. I'm sure you have a support system of some kind, but you're left without all those other resources trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. So we're going to be there to support our guys, you know, build a brotherhood, give them resources, whatever they need, so that they end up being, you know, the great, you know, men and players that they were when they played. Part of this is personal for you because you went through your own uh, questioning period after you retired. Like, what am I now? Well, if you had to pick the toughest issues that you dealt with and and you really put into this program personally, what would they be after you you retired? I'd I'd start with that mental health piece, you know, Mm. because nothing happens unless you uh, understand that you, you know basketball was just something you did. You know, don't get me wrong; it's a it's all of our lives. It's like we we spent so much time um, over however many years. You just said I played you know 16 years of professional basketball, four years in college, a couple years in high school. Uh, that, that's half of my life I've spent kind of playing ball. And now you you take that away from me, and I'm left there with this emptiness, this uh, loss of self, uh, all of that. And and yeah, there, I think it's normal to be depressed, but you have to find ways to start applying that same energy, that same passion, that same uh, way of going about life. You know, um, apply it to your circumstances today. So starting with the mental health piece and, and helping guys get past that whole, you know, hey, the game is, it's over, um, I have to pivot and find something else, 
Um, guys are guys are losing it. You know, they're they're not very equipped to do it. But um, I, I'm I'm excited that I was, you know, for me, I was able to go through that period. I actually started seeing a therapist, which you know, start pointing out a lot of things that were seemingly pretty obvious, but weren't obvious to me. And uh, next thing you know, life life turned around for me, and I, I'm just as mm. excited as I was when I played helping guys kind of, you know, get that same passion about doing something else in their lives. That's great. That's you know, like because I just I, I know that, and and obviously it's not just uh, black players; it's white players too. But but when I spoke to Ron Artest uh, and now Meta World Peace about mm-hmm. it, when he was going, he went to Capitol Hill and talked about mental health and. You know, he didn't say that a certain organization told him to stop taking his medication, but he did hear that he did hear that once once that, you know, like, hey, you're losing your edge if you if you stay on that, you're losing your edge. And he thought to himself, wait a minute, this is how I'm surviving and this is helping me. And it's almost like this thing growing up in any athletic community, for that matter, but especially, you know, a tough place like Oakland, where they'd say, you know, you don't. You, you don't need to deal with your feelings. You just brush that right. off, and, right. and you don't. And it does. It's not till later in life. And God bless America. Now that we're talking about it, and guys right. can actually face that stuff and not be thought of as weak, but actually courageous for getting that help. No, you're you're so right, man. And thank you for saying that. Um, we have so many situations out there, and you hear it more uh, in the NFL. Um, I've been very lucky and blessed to be attached to the NFL trust where they've, they've been building their um, transition program for their players for the last five or six years. And I've just been, you know, soaking up all the information, the things that they've done and gone through the resources they provided their players. Um, But they, they deal heavily in like suicide and, and things of that nature because of, you know, like you said, it's just a, a tough situation to be in when you can't, when you know you feel something that's not right. Uh, you're not, um, you, you haven't really been diagnosed with anything uh, where you can take medicine, but you just need to talk and you don't know who to talk to or uh, that, that therapy is, is really the key to go, way to go. Um, so you're just kind of searching to feel better, um, nothing else. And if you don't, if you don't uh, have that, if you don't have somebody to tell you it's okay, if you don't, if you don't have an introduction to things that can help you mentally, then uh, you're just stuck, and it's not a good feeling. Mm. Uh, my guest is Antonio Davis, 16-year veteran, pro basketball uh, extraordinaire. Even though they've legislated his position out of the game because nobody plays, <laughs> yeah. nobody plays physical anymore. And it's, yeah. it's all like, uh, it's basically like, it's at some point, like, you know, you got to be a stretch one nowadays. So you got to be a stretch five. You got to stretch four. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, I look at Giannis and I, yeah. I, it's, it's people of his elk or Jokic for that matter, the Joker. Right. I love right. their games. I mean, shoot, right. uh, Jokic sets picks like you did, where he basically right. is, you know, he, he's a building in front of whoever's trying to go around him. But. He, um, but gosh, God bless America. Those guys can sh- all shoot now. And Giannis, like, he's taken off from the dotted line, the free throw line. It's just amazing to me what the what guys six foot nine. I mean, shoot, I was six foot four, six five. I grew up in Hawaii because right. there were so many Asian kids and Japanese kids. I was like the center. <laughs> 
I, I felt yeah. like the chief in like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Like they would yeah. wait for me to run down court and like, here, give him the ball. Yeah. Turn around. Yeah. And it would be like this big robotic center thing. There's nobody like that anymore in the NBA. No. You, If you're not moving, if you're not fast at seven feet, you're nobody. No, you're really not. And because of technology and all the data that's uh, surrounding our game, uh, things the game has definitely changed. You know, people ask me, "Is the game better uh, now than it was before?" And I say, "No, it's just different." You know, I think if we would have had some of the resources, you know, if coaches would have uh, had some of the, all of the resources of looking at every single game and breaking down every single play and and knowing the tendency of every single player. Uh, they would have come up with different ways and different things to slow guys down, which would have, uh, you know, you got to figure out as a player how to stay relevant, relevant with your game, bring, adding something new every summer. So eventually we would have gotten to this point, I think, regardless. Uh, but like you said, the, the, the guys now, I think, are just training differently. If you are 6'9", you're not training with your back to the basket, shooting jump hooks or you know, uh, turnaround jumpers like that. You're, you're really stretching your game out on the floor. You're learning how to play out on a perimeter. You're learning how to do a lot of different things. So it's not one of those things where, uh, you know, guys don't understand what they need to do. But it's, you know, if you're down there like my position, like Charles Oakley, myself, uh, Anthony Mason, Garvis, so any of that, then you would have been phased out if you couldn't go one way or the other. If you weren't 6'11 with long arms and, and soft hands to catch the ball above the rim and dunk it or, or to block shots or you couldn't be a stretch four who can step out and shoot threes. I think I would have just retired if they tell me, oh, you got <laughs> to get out there and start shooting threes. I'd have been like, uh, I don't want to do that, man. You know what I'm saying? That's funny. Well, I like there was something about like the, the Davis boys, like Dale Davis and Antonio, like you guys were so it was it was a little bit like the the Beef Brothers back in the day, Jeff Rulin and Rick mm -hmm. Mahorn, like like mm -hmm. like like mm -hmm. the bookend forward, the big the bookend guys on the front line, like you did you you, you were never dirty. You were like a cerebral tough guy, but people feared you. They didn't want to, you know, they did not want to mix it up with Antonio Davis uh, because they knew what they knew what they were getting back. <laughs> For sure, it's like listen to me. You know, it was kind of crazy. I was always, I always felt like every second I'm on the floor, I can be doing something uh, defensively or offensively to help my team. So, you know, defensively, if it was. You know, getting a rebound, or if, if I see you know Mark Jaskin chasing this really strong, you know, really quick, you know, guard around the floor, if I can bump him a little bit and slow him down, or if I can take some energy away by chucking him, <laughs> then I'm gonna do that. You know what I mean? And it wasn't done in a way that was dirty. It was just competing. If you're not trying to do everything that you can to win, are you really trying to win? So that's that's kind of how I looked at the game. The Mike Wise Show with me, Mike Wise, comes your way each Monday. I will always have great guests like Antonio Davis and next week's guest, Goran Dragic of the Miami Heat. Some of my previous guests have included Jamal Crawford, Jeannie Buss, Lakers owner, Bruce Bowen, PJ Carlissimo, and Jason Whitlock. Our Wednesday show is Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. Their guests have included George Carl, legendary referee Steve Javi, 
Hall of Famer Rick Barry and Mike Breen, the voice of the NBA on ESPN and ABC. Each Thursday, we present Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt. Monica is one of the freshest voices in the game, and she brings the perspective of a player and the analytical skills of a coach. And each Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with three-time champ B.J. Armstrong and my friend Eric Newman. B.J. has been telling us all along not to sleep on the Celtics, and after game one against the Bucks, it looks like he may be right once again. Please check out all of our shows, download them, listen, rate, review, and most of all, enjoy, because my baby needs milk. Antonio Davis played with, uh, as we said earlier, the great Demetrius Hook Mitchell in high school, McClymonds. He played with Tim Hardaway, uh, Tim Hardaway Sr. at UTEP. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and and he played with, shoot, Mark Jackson in the NBA. I mean, that yeah. that's a heck of a trifecta when it comes to point guards. And then you talk about Reggie Miller. I mean, that was all, right. Hall of Famer Reggie Miller. Uh, I, I just uh, I, I can't even imagine what Tim was like in in college at UTEP. He must have been something. Man, he was extraordinary. The, the crazy part I can remember when Tim left uh, my junior year, I started to leave with him because I kept thinking most of my points came from a Tim Hardaway assist, <laughs> and all I had to do was lay it up or dunk the basketball. Right, right. Like, what am I going to do now that this guy is gone? You mean I have to learn how to create my own shots and all that kind of stuff? This isn't going to work really well. But, you know, I decided, hey, I have to figure it out one day, stay and, and you know, get that extra year. And Tim went on to have a great career. I appreciate yeah. it. Did you you played for Don Haskins, um, obviously yeah. because because our society has become obsessed with race lately. That uh, mm. all this you know the, the story of him in in Texas Western before it was UTEP yes. back in the day when they beat Kentucky, and yeah. and shoot I forgot Pat Riley was on that team. Um, yeah. Did he ever talk about that with you guys, or did you ask him about it, or were you were you very familiar with that story when you went there? Yeah, I, I think it came up uh, on my visit. I'm sitting there in his office, and he has that picture behind his desk, and, and I'm on the other side of the desk, and I'm looking up at the picture, and he kind of asked me what I was looking. He knew what I was looking at. What you looking at? And I was like, oh, that, that team is amazing. You guys won a championship and whatnot. Um, I mean, first first starting all-black five in college basketball yeah. that won a championship yeah. in 66. Yeah, yeah man. And the crazy part about it, he's <laughs> – he was so candid about it. He was like, oh, hell. If I would have known they were going to make such a big fuss out of it, I would have started one white guy. It didn't make a difference <laughs> to me. We were going to win. <laughs> That's great. That's tremendous. <laughs> he was funny um, like that, man. But, you know, I had a lot of respect for him because, you know, he, he, he seemingly was one of those coaches that – really wanted you to understand, you know, life other than just playing basketball. You know, he would always you know, pull you into his office and ask how you were doing or if your grades were bad. He was like, what, what's going on with you? Why are your grades bad? And blah, 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 you know. And I can remember one conversation he had with me um, even before I actually signed to go to UTEP. And by the way, uh, uh, it, it ended up being one of the best. To see. I don't know how I went from Oakland to El Paso, but it ended up working <laughs> out really well. <laughs> but he told me, he's like, listen, if you want to play this game for as long as you want to, you learn how to defend. 
and I, I that it, that stuck with me my whole career. And I can remember those days where I was cursing at him when I had to guard Tim Hardaway with my hands behind my back, full court, oh my falling God. on my butt, <laughs> Tim oh. laughing at me and all that kind of stuff. But he, he was right. You know, it really helped me when I got into the NBA and I had to – you know, guard those guards off the pick and roll and stay in front of them till the guard got back or uh, understanding help side defense or talking on whatever the case may be, man, that, that was the pillar. That why I, that's why I played as long as I played. Mm, that's, that's a good story. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Um, you played for Bird, too. You played for Larry Bird in Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so many coaches and, and Magic is probably testament to this as, as yeah. much as anybody. They just yeah. it's not the thing for them because of the yeah. excellence that they expected of themselves. And they and they just sometimes expect that of others. And it, it just doesn't work out. Larry Bird seemed to have that balance. Like he almost like knew other people's limitations and wanted to. Did you like playing for him? Well, he got that way. And I, I don't you know, people always look at me like I'm crazy, but. My experience with that is, okay, so Larry Brown leaves, and I was in love with Larry Brown. You know, he right. always – He called you Tony. Me. Tony. He called me Tony today. I'm like, dude, I'm 50 years old. My name is Antonio. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, love Larry Brown and, and just, you know, teach me how to play ball and, and things like that. And then Larry Bird came in, and the first thing I thought was, ooh, I am about to be really good. Jim, I, and I, I think even Chuck Person told me the story where Chuck Person thought, you know, he would like he would he would engage in a shootout with Bird, especially after they had Ooh. that great that great back and forth. And yeah. and and he said that Bird was still nailing him. Like, were you in the gym that day? Man, I, you know what? I've heard that story too. I wasn't in the gym, but I, I think still to this day he can. <laughs> He can pull out a bat, you know. You put him on a court, he'll knock down, you know, eight out of ten threes or something crazy, you know. Yeah, no, he, he just he was, was very competitive, uh, even when he coached. He he demanded, like I say, demanded a lot from us and and forced us to be the best that we can be. Had a lot of success. 
Yeah, a few more minutes left with Antonio Davis, my guest on the Mike Wise Show today, giving us some great stuff. Are you? Um, are, you're obviously close with your daughter Kayla, who won the NCAA mm. championship at South Carolina, and she's now mm. in the WNBA. WNBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and her twin brother AJ, where's he playing pro ball overseas? He AJ started off in Kosovo, and then yeah. he went to Australia. And then he came back and played in the G League a little bit, uh, and and it 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 was an interesting journey for him. It, it was really awesome to see him embrace, you know, playing ball overseas, uh, all the ups and downs of just learning uh, to play a different way. And he was another one who's kind of in that middle. He he's now being forced to either. Uh, either hone his skill a little bit more at six eight six nine, learn how to put the ball on the floor, shoot from distance, and all of that, or you know he has to gain a little bit more weight and play more like a, a stretch five. So, and he's very thin right now, so I'm telling him you know that's kind of the way to go, hone your skill and play more of a four a three four. Because he's, I mean, he's not a banger like that. I mean, he's just—that's just not who he's going to be. But it's—it's uh, he, he, it's been interesting to watch him grow over this last year or so. And part of my ignorance, where's Kayla playing in the WNBA? She'll still be at Dallas. This is her third year there. She's actually okay. getting ready to head out now. They'll—they'll they'll have training camp here pretty soon. Uh, they'll get ready to go. They they uh, have a new coach and all of that. They're going to be without Skyler. I think she uh, she actually had a baby not too long ago. Mm. Uh, so I think they'll be without her. So, you know, Kayla will have an opportunity to play some of that big guard position. So she's been working really hard to try to get some minutes playing that position. So we'll we'll see, man. I'm very excited about about both of them this year. Yeah, I I, I just think it's there's so many players and um, that have, were – essentially had uh, people in their background that were NBA players as parents now, you know, from yeah. Steph to Clay yeah. to shoot Tim yeah. Hardaway Jr. I, and it's amazing yeah. to me how many guys have like uh, sort of, uh, you know, they, they had a much better background and growing up, they were better to go to better schools than their parents were. And it still doesn't matter. It, it's like nurture versus uh, nature. They, mm-hmm. They're going to make it if they want to make it, if they're tough enough. And uh, did you, I, I'm just curious from a, from a, from a parent that's uh, – I'm an old dad. I got an 8-year-old, 4-year-old, and a 1-year-old daughter. My 8-year-old right. loves the game. Like, right. what, did, did you have to stand back and say, okay, I'm not the coach. I know I want him to do better than he does. <laughs> if you had to give a parent, a parent a, a, an aspiring parent whose son thinks he's much better than he is but nonetheless <laughs> loves the game, what would you say? Right. Like I really, what would you say? You know, I, you know, it, it was funny when my kids got into sports. We were in Toronto, and they were like snowboarding and and ice skating <laughs> and playing soccer and all of that, you know. And then we took them to some basketball camps. They played softball, all that kind of stuff. They they tried every sport under the sun, uh, and then just gravitated towards basketball, which you know I, I kind of let them make that decision uh and it two parts of the question you just asked well so at the time i was i was getting ready to hang up my shoes and whatnot and i go and i watch him play and i you know i i say hey you know just be a great teammate be play team ball you know work hard at it things like that and then when i saw that they they were really wanting to play 
it became difficult because I think a lot of the coaches that they had weren't really teaching them to play the game the right way. And for me, if you're going to play, the first thing you have to do at a young age is just, you know, have fun and learn how to play the right way. That's all. And uh, so I, eventually I stepped in. I coached both of them for a few years. And it was only to do that. Like, hey, let's make sure you get the fundamentals of this game down. And then it's going to be about how much work and effort and time, you know, you put into uh, being the best player that you can be. But uh, I, I, I think the you know, if I'm talking to parents today, it's really just allow your kids to have fun at the sport first because there's going to come a time where it's not going to be about fun. It's going to mm-hmm. be about getting better, competing, and all of that stuff. I see parents yelling at their kids at, you know, at, at 10 years old, 9 years old about – it's different to me. I always thought basketball or sports in general was a way to teach your kid about uh, – a bigger thing, you know, teamwork, uh, discipline, sacrifice, stuff like that. Don't don't yell at them about missing a shot or making a mistake, you know, things like that. But yeah, that that would be my advice to to parents is you know allow your kids to grow at their own pace, you know, run their own race, have fun, uh, enjoy the sport because not all of them are going to make it. You know, it's a, it's about their. Uh, you know their their um, their memories as a kid growing up playing ball, being part of a team and competing. So those yeah. things are most yeah. yeah but my child is because I'm a psycho parent, and that's the only way he's <laughs> going to get there. All right, and you just you have know. to accept. And you just have to accept it, Ad. You have to hey, accept now, it. Now, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, no matter what I say, you I know, know. <laughs> I've had parents. You know, the, them parents. You know who they are. Oh yeah, they no, they I know better you. than me. Their kid is going to be the sure. next LeBron. Blah 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 yeah, blah yeah. blah, and I yeah. just listen and sit there and just, watch and you know pray for the kid. That's all. I just I just want my kid to be the next Rick Smith. So I'm okay with that. Oh, hey, now you, hey, that guy right there had he? Oh, he, he had, had some shit in his game. He had, man, I've seen him give. David Robinson, 40, uh, Lonzo Mourning, 35. I mean, he... Very, very underrated center. Oh, my goodness, man. But I also saw the other side, too. He didn't didn't want to bang like that. He he wanted no part of all of that. It was like, you know, let me go down here and shoot my shots and score. And we'll figure out the rest of the stuff later. Yeah, Yeah, no, he was was from the soft mold of European player. Like, he wasn't like... uh, some of the guys now who just love the bang and don't care and your pitch yeah. and all these kids. I can't have you calling them soft though. Come on. No, you're right. He, you're right. He may have been a little, you know, not as physical, but let's, we're not going to say something. Yeah. What am I talking about? He, he, took, he took Shaquille O'Neal to seven games. I mean, that yeah, was a war yeah. of a series. <laughs> I remember that series. I mean, that was a great, that was one of the first great series I covered the New York times. And I remember thinking, yeah. man, this is unbelievable. One guy who's got all this skill. The other guy's brute force. And it was just, yeah. uh, it was great. The whole, all right. All right. Lightning round real quick. I got to do it here before you yeah. go. Uh, um, Let's see. I'm going to go. Your favorite player to watch in the NBA right now? Right now, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm, just because he's, he's got so many tools? You know what, man? It, it was funny to watch him, you know, a few years ago. And here it was um, a kid who was just trying to figure it out. You knew he was going to figure it out one day. And now you just see him do things that are. Uh, incredible, not just physically, 
but he's starting to figure some things out. Just the evolution of him as a player these last few years have been phenomenal. And then I'm always one of hard work, and you can tell he's been working on his body, uh, and he just looks looks awesome, you know. So we'll, I think there's just a huge upside. He's he's going to lead his team, I think, to a championship one day. It's just a matter of surrounding him with the right people and, and, and understanding what it's going to take for him to be a champion. All right. Did you foul Larry Johnson on that three-point shot in the 1999 Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, no. Uh, no. Uh, no and no. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I, I thought. See, I was up in the. I mean, I had a decent press seat, but I wasn't on press row where I usually am, yeah. so I didn't have the angle I would have had on it. I've seen it on tape thousands of times. It look. It's the kind of play where. Like maybe you call that in the in the first quarter. I don't think you call it there. That was just a crazy. Yeah. I mean, you barely nicked him. Well, you know the and you know the when the LJ's on, I'm gonna be be like, oh, I'll, you he hit you across the arm. You know that, oh, right? Yeah, you, you no. know how that is. <laughs> Listen, it, it was it was an incredible shot. You yeah. Know, um, and as many times as I've been asked about that situation, the one thing I continue to say is um, I was more hurt for my teammates than I was, you know, embarrassed about what I had done. Uh, it was just one of those things that that lockout year, we had worked so hard, uh, primed to win a championship, um, just just everything going the right way. And then a call like that just flipped momentum just like that. You know what I mean? And even though we went on and won a couple more games, I think it lost maybe in game seven or whatever the case may be, it's just unfortunate that – and it's human error. Like, referees aren't perfect. Players aren't perfect. Nobody's perfect. But, you know, a situation like that can really alter, you know, really the the, the course of a series or game or whatever. But uh, it was a great shot. I don't take nothing away from him. He definitely hit it. I, I just felt like it was either going to – you either give him the three shots, but mm. which you couldn't because he made the shot. Uh, but you give him two shots or whatever. Uh, if I'd have known that they were know that they were gonna they were gonna call it that close, I'd have just tackled him and had him shoot two free throws. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I Instead knew of that I was straight up and down. Yeah, I knew I was straight up and down. I wasn't moving forward. My hand was straight up. Um, so, but hey, it happened. Oh, funny story about that. So I, I go, I play for the Knicks, right? Yeah. So, and you know, if if you ever been back there, when you're walking down the hall to get to the to the uh, what is the cafeteria or wherever they eat. Yep. Every time you pass by on the wall, they have all these pictures. So very one of the very first days I'm there, the pitcher is there, Larry Johnson with his hands up. I'm standing there looking crazy. <laughs> And I go and I grab uh, Jonathan Sopranowitz, who was the PR guy, and I say, listen, man, let me tell you something. If you guys are going to have me here, you're going to take that picture down. I love it. I refuse to walk by this picture every single day. So you take it down. Or somebody's going to have to bring me my food in the locker room or something. But I am not walking by that picture every day. We start dying laughing, man. That was, That's great. Did that they take so it down? Funny. Yeah, they took it down. I remember. Uh, take that, they Soprano Witch. <laughs> they took That's... the picture down. And, but they later put it back. I think they just, you know, let them get here. Let them get situated. We'll put it back up in a week or two. 
Last one, um, uh, Bruce Bernstein, the longtime producer um, of all the television panel shows and otherwise at ESPN and in the NBA, yeah. um, was he a pain in the ass to work with? Oh, no, man. Bruce, oh. Bruce is awesome. No, nah, he, he was awesome. From, from the very second I met him, he was one that showed me the ropes. He looked after me. Uh, he helped me in so many ways, always encouraging and supportive. Uh, it took me to dinner a few times. So I have absolutely nothing bad to say about Bruce. You know, he made, yeah. made my time at ESPN a, a great time. I learned a lot. It was a great experience. All right, exactly counter the re the uh, answer I wanted, but that's uh, I, uh, that's probably the truer one. That's probably the truer because don't you I, be stepping between me and AD, Mike Wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't do that. It ain't yeah, no, I got this. I got this, bro. Don't worry yeah. about it. I got it. A well, AD is the best, Mike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, th thank you so much, man. As usual, you've been great. Um, if you're if you're in the area, I don't even know if you're um, you still live in the Oakland area. You know, actually, um, um, my mother has retired in the last uh, couple years, and uh, my grandma's not doing so well. Um, so I'm 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 literally in the next you know month or so, we'll probably be moving back here. And kind of doing a lot of travel between here and New York and whatnot, but uh, you, you start learning as you get get older, Mike. There's there's nothing more important than you know family and relationships and things of that nature. So uh, it, it'll be interesting how the next few months play out. But yeah, I'm, I'm always back, man. You know, just just you know, I got nieces and nephews and stuff like that that I want to see grow up. So so what? You let yeah, me know, one... man. Yeah, one one uh, prayers go out to your grandmother and, and your family. You. I think that's great Thank you're you. being part of that too. Yeah, if you're in town at some point, and um, if I if I look up Hook, I'm gonna try and put together a dinner for him some night. Uh, I'd love it for you to come by, and I think he'd love to see you. That would be a great thing uh, for him, and and um, and you, you know, hopefully you too. You let me know when I'm there, man. Oh, him, thanks. I do anything. I do anything. Uh, all right. All right. Well, Antonio okay. Davis, right. thank you again, man. I, and, 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 and great luck with the Players Association program. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy that uh, you're helping people after their days are over in the NBA. It's something that's been needed for a long time in the league. Thank you, man. I appreciate mm -hmm. you having me on. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thank you, Antonio Davis. You were more than authentic as usual. And I mean it when I say I'm going to put something together for Hook Mitchell. Also, Jeff Torini, Bruce Bernstein, shoot, Isabel, Scott Kalka, all you guys back in New York. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you to Pure Hoops Media. We'll be back next week with Goran Dragic and more playoff insight on The Mike Watch Show. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.